Hi, welcome to the Why and the What Product Management Podcast. I'm Daniel Kahn, and today we're speaking with Kevin Loy, formerly of Grubhub and now working as a product manager with Peapod. Kevin and I got to speak about what it's like to stand up product in an established organization and his passion about really bringing data-driven decision-making into his product management process. We even got to talk a little bit about understanding product through the lens of Zelda. I really enjoyed speaking with Kevin, and I hope you'll enjoy listening to our chat. Here's Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Thanks so much for chatting today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Great to uh, have you here. Looking forward to getting a bit of an understanding of your opinions about product. I believe from our previous chats that you have many, so we'll we'll dig into that. <laughs> that I do. Um, so why don't you start us out? Why don't you tell us a little bit about um, what you do now in uh, product with Peapod, and then maybe after that you could tell us how you got into product originally. Absolutely. So uh, at Peapod, I have been there for uh, just shy of two years now. And I, uh, I was recruited actually by a former Grubhub colleague of mine to help her stand up product there for really what was the first time in their 30 year history. Uh, so she had me come in generally to help her stand up product, data driven decision making, an optimization program, and to open up uh, some of Peapod to uh, third parties. So I, I also run a third party API integration program. So it'll keep keep keeps me busy, I'll say, uh, and it's a lot of fun. It, the the space itself, grocery was new to me, but food and last mile logistics are things that I've been working in for the last several years. So just kind of tweaking uh, some of the market focus that I had, and uh, really honing in on uh, on trying to understand like what what could really make grocery shopping different. Um, like for me, it actually took a long time to click for like what what the value prop uh, was for Peapod, and my wife and I we have this like um, this kind of like old soul habit. Like we still get the paper version of the New York Times on Sunday, and I remember the first time we got a, an order on a Sunday in the middle of me reading the paper with like a cup of coffee in hand, and my my apartment buzzer went off, and that was my groceries showing up, and it, it clicked for me that I. I actually just like bought my own time back. I got my Sunday morning with my wife back. And then for me, it was like, oh, yes, this is something I'm super into uh, saving people's time, giving them their day, letting them go and like watch their kids soccer game or whatever, as opposed to schlepping to the the grocery store. So um, so it's been a lot of different things there. Uh, you know, those kind of like three tent poles. Um, I think I've also made some really cool features while I've been there. We've, we had this. Uh, uh, this opportunity to really create a kind of like a build your own sale program. Um, but it's really the cultural impact that I feel like I've had. I'll put my, the feather in my own cap there. Um, that has really changed their outlook both on, on product generally, but then also using data to make decisions. Um, and I think whenever my time comes to, to move on to the next adventure, those will be the things that I, I really feel good about um, seeing the change in, in the way that people work, but also the way that they communicate. It's nice to have those pieces that you're you're proud of with it. Um, and you touched on it, I think, from a value proposition perspective. But um, what what does Peapod actually do? Oh, that's a good question. I maybe should have led with that. Uh, so so uh, so Peapod uh, allows customers to uh, grocery shop online. Uh, primarily, we'll do deliveries, uh, but we do have a, a budding pickup business as well. Uh, so Peapod is actually part of the Ahold Del Hayes family of grocery stores. Uh, 
Uh, I think we're, our new parent company's name is actually All Hold USA, uh, but they own. If a, if you have listeners on the East Coast, uh, Stop and Shop Giant, Giant Martins, uh, Giant Carlisle, uh, Food Lion, and I think I'm shamefully forgetting uh, another one, uh, Hannaford. That's what it is. Um, and, uh, uh, so all of those are, are different, like brick and mortar grocery store chains. And so Peapod, uh, actually started in the late eighties. Uh, they were the, the, like the first online, uh, grocery store here in Chicago. Uh, they partnered with, uh, with a local grocer named Jewel, uh, Jewel Osco. Um, interestingly, they were also at one point the like second largest seller of modems, uh, in the United States. Um, because you, you'd plug in your old, uh, your old modem and it would connect to Peapod server, uh, and download the prices for stuff, uh, from Jewel for that day. Uh, actually our, our co-founder, Thomas Parkinson, if you, if you go on his LinkedIn, there's an old video, uh, that shows you how to get Peapod running in DOS and you, you have to, you know, put in your old VHS tape and it's kind of cute actually. Uh, but to, to see that, that progression from, um, you know, just, uh, like a text table in DOS to where we are today is, is really pretty impressive. Uh, but so you can schedule deliveries uh, for yourself uh, up to almost two weeks in advance. And I think one of the like really cool, unique features um, that not just in the in the grocery space, but I don't think anybody online is really doing this. Uh, once you you place an order and check out, and you have your delivery scheduled uh, up until the night before. You can actually go in and edit your order. So uh, if my wife and I plan a couple of dinners and we don't have the rest of the week figured out, or we don't have enough time to plan everything, we can go ahead and check out, schedule our delivery, and then when we have another couple of minutes uh, to add the rest of the dinner options we want, or maybe I decide I need a, another case of Lacroix, or I realize we're out of coffee, I can just hop back on and, and add that, and it. And it comes uh, uh, with the rest of the stuff. That's a uh, nice flexibility. I feel like uh, with with that kind of a pitch, I should be uh, starting trying to see if we should get some sponsorship money out of them uh, for this. Yeah, uh, maybe <laughs> for the podcast here. Um, yeah. Sort of going back in time a little bit. You're you're working in product with uh, Peapod now. You had a, another product role before that. Why don't you talk us through a little bit of uh, your career leading up to now? How did you come to be in product with uh, Peapod and uh, previously you were product with uh, Bring? How did that come to be? Uh, so maybe I'll start at the beginning, uh, a little bit. So I, like, I, I'm a pretty technical guy. Uh, I put myself through college doing web and graphic design, uh, doing like small mom and pop e-commerce shops, uh, before like Squarespace and Wix and Shopify were kind of all a thing. And, um, when I, I transitioned from being a, a theater major actually to philosophy and economics. So not, not a technical guy by, uh, by schooling, um, but kind of graduated in the, in the middle of all the recession nonsense um, and really didn't have an idea of what I was going to do other than continue to make websites. And I wound up um, kind of falling into uh, process improvement. And that had me at, uh, at Groupon for a little bit doing stuff with there. And then I wound up at Grubhub actually helping them um, do some internal tool development and, and really improve their lead to lifetime for new restaurants. Uh, and I spent, oh man, uh, like, little over five years there, maybe five and a half years doing a bunch of different things. Um, and I built three or four different internal tools for them. Um, I think the coolest of which was a, a lead generation tool um, and something that actually powers their search today for uh, to quickly get new restaurants on and, and uh, have a proper categorization and taxonomy for their restaurants. 
uh, and the items that they they serve and, and people to, able to actually find them in the app quickly. Um, and, and throughout my my time there, uh, the product group kept trying to bring me up to uh, up to their ranks, and I kept turning them down because I had a boss that uh, was just a phenomenal uh, pairing for me and mentor. Uh, you know, you kind of uh, alluded to this at the beginning that I have a lot of thoughts and opinions. Uh, you might say I'm strong willed, so it takes uh, a specific type of uh, of manager, I think, to like really uh, work well with me and kind of uh, to push me forward. And I, I was really, really fortunate to find someone like that early in my career. And I didn't want to leave that. And uh, I went through, oh man, I don't know, seven or so uh, mergers and acquisitions with Grubhub uh, and was doing a lot of the same projects, it felt like, over and over again. And, and I, one of the most important things for me is to make sure that I'm always learning something new. And when I kept going to work feeling like I was repeating myself, uh, I decided it was time to make a change. Uh, and, and maybe stupidly, maybe not, I decided that change wasn't to take my product friends up on their offer to, to pull me into product management uh, in the same company, but to go try something totally new. Uh, so I got a, approached by a uh, last mile logistics company is based in Tel Aviv uh, to help them uh, stand up stuff here in the United States and South America. So I was working um, with uh, Panera and DHL, uh, some two really cool clients to work with uh, and, and helping them work on their delivery arms. I spent uh, a good deal of time in Santiago, which was which is difficult because I don't speak Spanish. So I was like living out of Google Translate and just trying to trying to make everything work. Um, and, uh, that was, it was, wound up being a lot of travel. So, uh, I decided to start looking for something that would keep me stateside. And I had, uh, uh, the kind of fortunate luck of, uh, one of the, the women uh, that I really admired and was trying to pull me into product at Grubhub, uh, moved to, uh, moved to Peapod and asked me to finally work with her, um, and come help her stand up, uh, uh, the product organization there. So, um, she wound up leaving um, last March, and um, I had a bunch of things that I really wanted to do. I got really into working on um, on a, uh, voice assistant technology. I, I think there's a lot of, of uh, kind of open green pastures for uh, e-commerce stuff uh, on voice assistants, whether it's Google Home or, or Alexa or, or actually maybe even Siri at some point. Uh, and so I got pulled into that and I just, I got really into it. And those are, there's just a handful of things like that, that I was like, man, I have to keep working on these things and, and see what we can do uh, for customers and see really what we can do in the industry too. Because like I said, for those types of things, it's just so open um, right now. And, and I think there's going to be an explosion of growth in those areas. So what was it at uh, Peapod that you were originally charged with? What did the uh, the business look like when you came on board and what were you trying to improve? Oh man. So that's, that's a tricky question. So I think part of, part of what Kat wanted me to come in there for was, uh, was really to help her stand up the, the cultural change of it. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with Marty Kagan or not. Uh, he's a, uh, he was the guy that runs the Silicon Valley product group. Um, he's got a thing in his book, uh, inspired, uh, that's, uh, I'm going to paraphrase this maybe grossly, but it's effectively uh, no one asks for product to show up, right? Um, nobody in an existing company asks for product to show up. Uh, and, and there's a good reason for that. And it's because uh, generally the first time you fail miserably at standing uh, that type of change up uh, in a company. And it's not because of, of uh, you know, malice or anything. It's just a big shift. Uh, so one of the things that that I was charged with coming in uh, was really trying to help 
uh, the front end engineering team uh, get to be more flexible, more agile. Um, they were uh, kind of doing um, uh, uh, half-ass scrum, if you will. Uh, they were very, uh, very much still waterfally though, and that, and that's kind of endemic of the um, of the the grocery technology space writ large. And by that, I don't mean like Amazon or Instacart, but any of the like Kroger and, and everybody that's trying to do that, they're all kind of in the same uh, ballpark from my, uh, my read of, of talking with people. And so for me, it was really teaching them um, a lot of things. They, if you're familiar with like lean startup, uh, that really quick uh, build, measure, learn feedback loops and those kind of things, kind of getting out of this monolithic uh, shipping perspective and really uh, seeing what kind of impact we could make with uh, much smaller iterations. So um, I think one of my, one of my proudest things was getting people to, uh, to kind of come to terms with the fact that we don't have to have every single detail for every single thing figured out uh, from the beginning, because we're going to learn as we start to build it, as we start to show it to customers, as we A-B test it. Um, there's no way that we could have it all figured out correctly anyway uh, from the get-go. So um, I think I think that was probably the biggest piece really was that, that culture shift. The other side though, was really teaching uh, them about how we could use data. And in my end of this was really specifically AB testing, but how we could use uh, that data to ensure we were making the right decisions, building the right stuff, prioritizing the right feature or the right change or the right enhancement um, to make sure that we were properly leveraging the, the limited resources that, that we have. I really want to dig into um, the, A-B testing and data-driven decisions with you, but let's do that in a minute. Um, when you were bringing the team over from really more of a waterfall methodology into the agile world, were there baby steps towards that? What was the um, what was the method for actually helping this team transition to a more agile process? If I told you I had a method, I would be lying. Um, uh, so I, you know, I I think that. Um, the best method for a team is whatever works for them. So uh, I was fortunate enough to also have, uh, I think one of the, the best guys in the uh, agile transformation business working with me, his name's Lowell Lindstrom. He's uh, kind, of, kind of an old school XP guy, but he's he's been um, really instrumental in a lot of the scrum classes, at least here in Chicago, St. Louis. Um, so I had some definite backup from him, uh, but really, uh, it's getting people on board uh, with the idea of thinking differently about the work that they're doing. Um, and for, for me, that was like bringing in new features and new ideas to, to a 30 year old company. Um, you know, that's talking about the value that we're bringing to customers and actually teaching the engineers about the customers that we had and why we would build one thing for them that might work for a bunch of different ones, but it was really focused on one. Um, no, so I, I think the, the piece is, uh, is getting them, uh, to take ownership on the things that they're building, as opposed to just say, uh, getting a, a product requirements document that's, you know, 40 pages long, if they're not actually going to read the thing for me that really helped us click into, um, I'll, I'll call it pseudo scrum that we're in, um, was, getting them to trust me one, uh, which, you know, is kind of an endeavor uh, in and of itself. That's maybe uh, building trust and being likable are maybe two of the, the biggest pieces, I think, of being a successful product manager. Um, but building that trust with them um, and, and showing them that we could release 
uh, smaller iterations of things that all build towards a bigger idea. Uh, one to help us prove things out, but also to, to take on smaller pieces and, and see what happens. Um, the, the, I ran into, I think a lot of, uh, of, uh, siloed thinking too, that, um, that I'm not sure that I'm totally through yet. I'm trying, it's, it's hard to talk about some of this without like feeling like I'm throwing some people under the bus. It's weird. Um, but we'll, I, we'll I, certainly I wanna, leave names out. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm trying to leave names out, but it, it's, a uh, it's one of those things that, that I've struggled with. And I, I, I don't want to come across as sounding like I, I have the answer because I don't feel like I do, but I, I think, um, there's the trust that, that I had to work on building with the team to think about work differently, right? To not just want me to prescribe all the requirements for them. Now, uh, I think they get upset with me if I if I bring in uh, too many requirements sometimes because we're at a place now where um, they have a lot more uh, uh, creative freedom with things than I, than I think they had before. But the, to do that, uh, to, to get to a place where we could do that with them, we also had to do it at the executive level. And and getting them to buy in on a roadmap of ideas as opposed to this one huge monolithic uh, project that we were going to put out. Uh, does that make sense? Maybe it answers your question. Yeah, it does. And I, I think it's uh, sort of the, the big summary, if you'll allow me to, to summarize oh, everything you've, you've said there is um, there was a, a transition to understanding that they're building X next to they're delivering value to a user and owning that value piece and so they they actually start to see what they're putting out into the world and take pride in actually working towards that that decision making which sounds like they're they're getting now with a little bit more of that creativity and figuring out how to actually bring that value forward god that was a great summary you're a <laughs> summarizer you. in chief there you go appreciate that um, so you said that you're using something that's uh, Scrum-ish, but not entirely Scrum. What are the pieces of Scrum that you've uh, subscribed to that's working for your team? And um, what have you thrown out and done differently? Uh, well, I think that some of the more ceremonial things we're missing just because we don't have the bandwidth for it. Like I, my, my scrum teams right now don't have a scrum master. And I think if you talk to people that are dogmatic about scrum, um, uh, they'll tell you that, well, then I'm not doing scrum. So, um, it, that's why, that's why I say it's scrum ish. Um, so some of the things that I do think are, are really important that are, are ceremonious are, are retros and our, um, our show offs to our demos to uh, stakeholders. Like those things are, are really important to us. Um, one of the, the, the finicky things I think for, uh, for my teams at Peapod uh, has been estimation. Um, and so we, we do that. Uh, and I, you know, I definitely care about what our team's velocity is and, and try to use that to, to plan as much as possible. Um, but I, one of the things, and I, and maybe I should have prefaced some of my Peapod stuff with this too, is, um, you know, we're, we're in the midst of a reorg now and we're, we're pushing a bunch of different, um, tech groups together. Uh, and so they all have a different perspective and some of them are still doing very waterfally things. So, um, when we, when we try to make a, a, a new team, uh, or, or a, a new feature group or whatever you're doing, everybody's has that different perspective. So you, you're kind of go back through that forming, storming, norming thing of, of making a team. Uh, and I think for us, uh, some of the biggest impacts on that have, have been, um, in our estimation and, uh, in our ability to plan properly. Uh, I also think I, from my, from my perspective, I have a lot of breadth at Peapod, but I don't have the depth that I think of, uh, as a normal 
product manager because I, for me, um, I've taken on the, uh, the whole of the consumer site for the last year. Um, and so there are things that I would like to work on or think about, or, um, really get into the nitty gritty of, of, of how, um, some user interaction works that I'm not doing. And so for me, I don't feel like I'm playing the proper product owner on the scrum team. Um, so that, those are some of the ways that I think, um, you know, that, that we differ specifically, but I think what's important, uh, especially if you, if you try to do this stuff at scale uh, is you're always going to run into things that uh, don't jive for one reason or another. Uh, and I think as long as you're doing what actually works for the team, uh, that's what's actually important. I mean, having the whole self-organization and having the autonomy to try things and fail and own them and learn and iterate on those things. I think that's the, the whole process scrum or whatever it is that you're doing that has to be part of it. Um, so I think that's, that's the key thing. Everything else is, is kind of, uh, you know, window dressing to a certain extent. Um, I mean, it's nice, it's nice to have the framework, right. If you can go from one company to another and, and kind of understand it. But I think what's important is what works for your team. Um, and, and I would never try to prescribe that to, uh, to a team. I'd love to show them a bunch of different ways of doing things, um, and find the thing that actually works best for the team that, that I'm working with. That, that fast feedback cycle that allows for improvement, that really that agile mentality is a big part of why that value is delivered and why teams really are following this as opposed to waterfall as a, a system anymore. So it, it makes sense. I mean, that's the whole reason we've got that, um, the retro in, if we're thinking about this in, in scrum terms is so that we could be improving even on our own internal process. So that you're doing that and figuring out for your specific team what's working and what isn't working is is great that that's the approach that you're taking. Um, you mentioned earlier that one of the things that you really like to be able to facilitate is uh, data-driven decision-making within the process, and you're working a lot with um, A-B testing and um, finding other ways to bring data into the um, the product decision-making argument process. What what sorts of things are you doing to help facilitate uh, data decision making in your product process? So there, there's a bunch of different things, and I, I for me, um, well, I'm a very tech savvy cat. Like I'll do a lot of stuff in Python, uh, but I don't think that we need to be totally focused on uh, quantitative analysis. I think there's a lot of stuff we can do qualitatively. So for me, um, you know, if we have a new idea for a feature. Uh, and, and maybe my designer or user experience folks and I've, you know, either whiteboarded something or, or done something on paper. I'm a big fan of Gorilla usability testing. Um, and by that, I mean, I'll take a prototype out to a bar and let people play with it and tell me what they think um, and ask different questions about uh, their interaction with it. Obviously, you can get much more sophisticated uh, than that. There's all sorts of different uh, study programs that you can use or usertesting.com or whatever. Um but I, I think when the reason I'm bringing this up first is I think when we think about uh, data-driven decision-making, I think a lot of times we just think ones and zeros. Uh, and I think it's important to remember that your your qualitative feedback is also data um, and getting that uh, in front of uh, people early and often, your customers early and often, uh, is extremely important. So that that's one way of doing it. I think the other way... Um, 
you know, at, at uh, my current employer, there were they had very rich metrics in uh, in a tool called uh, Splunk. I'm sure a lot of other uh, product people and analysts uh, are familiar with it. Um, it. It basically lets you read the logs of your of your application, and there's some really awesome things you can do with it. Uh, but it's not the most user friendly tool in the world, and certainly uh, not accessible to other teams. Uh, it's not very collaborative, if you will. Uh, so one of the things that uh, was extremely important to me was standing up. Uh, Google Analytics. They obviously everybody's got Google Analytics, right? But actually having a robust uh, program for that, uh, a taxonomy to the the way that all of our events work, and actually being able to report on those things uh, in an easy way was kind of integral to that. And actually understanding where our users are dropping off. Like there's, um, I, th- I think it's easy. Um, uh, in an organization to do finger pointing when something isn't working. Uh, so you might say that marketing is bringing in crappy traffic and that's why we have, uh, that's why we have high bounce on a certain page, right? Well, it's easy once you actually have uh, tracking set up to understand, well, actually it's not marketing that's, that's got bringing in crappy traffic. It's that your load time is, you know, far beyond what an average customer is willing to wait for, for whatever reason, or maybe that link that somebody put out uh, on social media actually is for a foring um actually being able to track those things back and understand what's going on um you know i i think uh the other piece of this too um is uh is with a b testing so if we have an idea for a feature uh or maybe uh perhaps is more common some stakeholder has an idea for a feature um, and they're very passionate about this thing and, and it becomes the executive priority fire 1A of the day uh, or week or sprint. Um, it's uh, a much better thing, I think, to uh, understand that problem that they're trying to solve and, and figure out how you can build, uh, engineer a, a lower fidelity version of that that you can A-B test. So don't wind up going in... in going through a full site redesign, let's take an element or a page of the site, try to redesign it and see how users actually interact with it. Um, or uh, we have uh, on, on Peapod, uh, we have a lot of modals um, that, that customers can interact with, act with whether that's uh, like a product detail page or uh, our delivery selection. And sometimes we'll play with moving those out to like full page things. Uh, we'll change the order of the information and things on there. And that really helps us understand where people are looking and, um, and interacting with different elements on the site. So for me, it all winds up about uh, being small tests to prove the direction of where we're going. Um, I, think, uh, I think a lot of this uh, video game I played, of, uh, played as a kid, uh, Zelda, the Ocarina of Time. Did you play that? I didn't, and I feel like I'm one of the only people who's never played Zelda, and everybody's got it on anyone who's using the, uh, what is it, the Switch? Yeah, the Now Switch. everyone's yeah. into Zelda again. There's this great resurgence, and now I was uh, never a Zelda kid growing up, but I feel like I've maybe missed something a little bit magical there. You, you definitely did. Uh, and now my, my analogy is busted. Uh, <laughs> but no, there's uh, there in, in the Ocarina of Time, there's, there's this desert that you walk through. Um, and the sand, if you start to go the wrong way, the sand blows up and you start to not be able to see. And it takes you back to the beginning of the, of the, of the desert that you're walking through. But if you walk the right way, uh, you start to see these signposts. And if you keep walking exactly towards the right next signpost, uh, the path gets clearer and clearer and clearer. But again, if you deviate from that, um, you know, you kind of get taken back to the beginning. Uh, 
And so that's kind of the way that I, I look at A-B testing, what you're really trying to do with it, right? Like you have this idea um, and you want to walk towards it in small, steady steps and prove out that you're going the right way. And if you don't go the right way, uh, whether that's because the hypothesis was wrong or it just doesn't work out, um, you can start over again very, very quickly. Um, so see, this actually was, I think, uh, a pretty decent analogy. I, I was wondering if it was going to work out as I was talking about it. And I'm like, no, that works. It totally yeah, works. I think so. And um, probably the fact that I didn't have that in my own mental re- repertoire to begin with forced it to be explained in a little bit more detail. So I think probably yeah. a useful thing. <laughs> yeah. No, and it, um, uh, it totally, it totally does work that way though. You know, like you, you start to take steps towards, uh, towards an idea or, um, a totally new line of business. And if you can dip your toe in the water a little bit and understand the reaction of customers and, and how they interact with it, um, uh, you can really start to, to make some better decisions pretty quickly. Um, you know, for us, we're, we're in the middle of, uh, of actually doing a redesign. It's, it's kind of why I brought it up. Uh, and one of the ways that we're testing that, um, before we go wide to a, a larger selection is, is AB testing. So, uh, and that'll, you know, that, that allows us both to get qualitative and quantitative feedback. So we, we can do those things kind of side by side. What actually gives you confidence in the outcome of, uh, one of these tests? Are you looking at things like, true statistical significance or yeah okay so so it depends on the test like what you're trying to do um so like uh we have um we have a a a gateway if you will uh, at peapod so you have to give us your zip code before we'll show you like products and prices um and so on that page uh there's really only two key actions that i'm trying to get people to do sign in if they already have an account and somehow signed out of it or give me their zip code so they can actually start shopping. Uh, so I'm interested in the number of people that bounce on that page and the number of people that do one of those two other, other things. Um, on other pages, our, our homepage, I might be interested in who clicks on, uh, or clicks through a, a piece of content that we're showing, or maybe who adds an item to cart before they navigate elsewhere. Um, how long it takes someone to add, uh, add to their cart in their current experience. Right. Um, we have a lot of repeat customers, which is an awesome thing to have. Uh, and so building features for them um, that, that that makes their shopping experience faster is an awesome thing. So if you uh, if you order on Peapod and you come back, uh, we have this uh, nifty little fill my cart button and it allows you to um, fill your cart with everything from your last order. Uh, good chunk of people uh, use that today. I, I started looking at it though, and people that uh, looking at their order data, people that, that order predominantly the same thing every time weren't using it. And so I started to wonder, uh, well, maybe they just aren't seeing it. Maybe it gets lost in the stream of other things. So can I create a different experience that utilizes the same feature that actually increases the engagement with it? Um, so with a little different visual treatment, um, I actually saw like a, a 240% lift in that feature, uh, which is an awesome thing to see. Um, so it really depends on what your, what your hypothesis is, but you're going to look to a bunch of different things and depending on your methodology or tools that you're using, uh, you'll either use some sort of frequency statistic or Bayesian statistics, uh, if you've got the data to do that. Um, and then, you know, you're going to look for the, the Delta between them. So. Um, and depending on, you know, the amount of traffic you have, it could take a long time, or if you're fortunate enough to have a, enough, uh, either new customers or repeat customers, I happen to be in that boat. Um, you can start to tell those things pretty quickly. And, um, what, what tools are you actually using to get these measurements out of your product? 
Um, so the my initial measurements come from Optimizely. Um, I'm a big fan of their tool. Um, I think they make uh, some of the best A/B testing software in the industry. They're not paying me to say it. I wish they were, um, but uh, I, I've been using them for years now, and and I absolutely love it. Um, for us, we're we're using um, their their front end web package, uh, Optimizely X. I think is their is their like product name for it. Um, but that allows uh, you to do a bunch of really uh, wonderful things. Like you, you can actually have engineers code full tests in there. Um, you can have them use it as a traffic cop, basically. So you, your site is actually doing, or your app is actually doing uh, all of the work and optimizely is just saying, turn this thing on or turn it off. Or, and, and this is something I really like to do, uh, again, big on the, the collaboration with different teams, you can actually build, um, you know, think of them as, as uh skeletons, if you will, they call them extensions, but it allows you to build an experiment once and define the variables that someone else at a lower permission set can actually change and then still publish. So if marketing uh, wants to do six different experiments, you can build, say, a little modal or a butter bar for them one time and then allow them to actually go in and uh, and actually make the different changes to, to do the different tweaks for whatever it is they want to see. Um, and so that'll do like your first wave uh, comparison, actually. So it'll tell you whether or not whatever primary metric you've defined is statistically significant. Obviously, you can dump all that data out and, and check it yourself if you want to. Um, but something that's always really important to do is further segment that data. So let's say we have an experiment that uh, looks like it might be a failure for our audience writ large. Can't talk. Uh, our audience writ large. Um, and what might happen actually is that maybe people that are browsing the site on desktop totally hate this thing for some reason. Maybe you actually have a bug in it, but on mobile, it totally works out. And so if you push that into another tool, say Google Analytics, um, you can segment uh, that data and look at it in, in much more granular detail. You can patent, like match it up to different marketing campaigns or the source for that traffic that, uh, that came into that experiment. Maybe uh, people that uh, that come to your site through Google absolutely love this experience, but for some reason, the people coming from Bing, um, it just totally doesn't work for them for whatever reason. They hate it. Uh, and so you can start to really understand at a more granular level once you do that segmentation uh, where it's actually working and where it's not. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a while since I've been involved with a, a team using Optimizely, and I, I wasn't the one using it myself. But once you have that information, Optimizely... I think actually does let you then go and rerun tests with a more targeted audience where you could run that test specifically on desktop or specifically on desktop Chrome and yeah, find can, out again. Yeah. Yeah. You can build all sorts of different um, audiences for that. And um, optimizely, I don't know how many uh, stock variables they give you. It's somewhere around 20 though. And those, those could be regions or, or devices or browsers, whatever. Um, but then if you're fortunate enough and, to, to have a tech team that'll work with you on it, you can pass in your own custom variables as well. So we have a bunch of different programs at Peapod. One of them is a, is a delivery pass called PodPass. So we can run experiments on people that have purchased and have an active PodPass for us uh, versus those that don't understand you know, their different behaviors shopping. Uh, so it's a really, really flexible tool. Basically, if you can come up with an idea, they have a way to support it. Uh, okay, that's yeah. there, my there experience are, also was it was quite a flexible tool. So that's... Uh... Good to know somebody using it currently is um, singing its praises in exactly that way. Yeah, big fan. They also have great program management too, which for me, kind of being a, um, 
I don't want to say a lone wolf, but but pretty close to being a lone wolf product manager at, at a company, uh, having everything in one package, uh, actually from the testing suite through program management is a is a phenomenal uh, help to me. Um, but there, there are other things. VWO also is a, is a really great service. Their, their stats model is a little different. Um, but, uh, they offer a lot of the same feature set. So, uh, if, if you can't afford the sticker price of, of Optimizely, there are other really great options for you, including Google analytics itself. You can, you can actually do experiments out of there as well. So you touched on this a little bit, just, uh, casually as we were chatting before, but, um, what are some resources that you lean on in product that have informed you and you find valuable? Oh man. Uh, so many, I've been, I've been fortunate enough to, to, uh, have a network, uh, that's solid with people. Um, I probably should have asked them if I could use their names and, and push people to LinkedIn. So I'll, I'll skip that. But, um, I mentioned a book earlier that uh, has been really helpful to me and that's Marty Kagan's inspired. Uh, there are two, two versions of that book. Now the, the original one is very startup focused. Um, and so during my, my time at other companies, uh, that was really helpful. Now the second version he has is geared more to exactly towards what I'm doing, uh, today, which is standing up product in an established organization. Um, lean startup was a huge influence on me. Um, I think, um, you know, getting people to, to trust me and break out of their, their shell and, and thinking about things differently. Um, Luke Common, I think is how you say his last name has a book called innovation games. Uh, and basically, uh, that's a way to, it, it's like different facilitation games. Um, even some in there that you can get people to, um, to get like monopoly money out and start um, paying for features. And you start to understand uh, once there's a big pile of money on one feature, like what the internal group really feels like the right thing to do is. And it kind of cuts through some of the noise. So those are some really awesome things. Um, I think uh, for A-B testing stuff, I'm trying to hit a gamut for you here. A-B testing, um, I think uh, there's a book called Be Like Amazon, which I, I think is by... Jeffrey Eisenberg, I think is the guy's name, uh, which was a, a really awesome thing. I mean, if you, if you take one thing from Amazon, it's, uh, it's Bezos is, you know, their, their success is defined by the number of tests and experiments they're running every day, week, month, and year. Um, and that book really hits home on a lot of those different things. Um, I, I talked a little bit about, uh, you know, analytics to, to some degree. Um, and I think being able to at least speak the language, if not do a lot of it yourself is really important. Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Python for that when you have to get into actual data. I got into that uh, by a book called uh, Think Bayes, um, and it's on Bayesian statistics, uh, but it'll also teach you Python as you go along. And um, what else in there? Conversion XL is a blog and an institute that's really good for um, uh, learning about A-B testing. And another, another product blog I like a lot is, uh, Casey Winters, uh, in disclosure, he's an ex Grubhub guy. Um, but he's a, he's a growth advisor for, for like Airbnb and Reddit and such now. Uh, but he's got a blog called Casey accidental, uh, and that has some fabulous anecdotes and stories and ways to think about your work differently. Um, I am, oh, anytime he sends me an email, I'm, I'm on his list, you know, anytime he sends an email out, it's something I like stop what I'm doing and go read it. So I'd highly encourage you to, uh, to get on his mailing list and read his blog. That's great. And, uh, quite, a, quite a collection of resources. I think Apple limits me in the description of the podcast to, uh, <laughs> 355 characters but i'm going to do my best to uh find a way to link to all of those in there some way or another 
Uh, Kevin, been really great chatting with you. I appreciate all the uh, the resource sharing and insight to um, what you've brought to Peapod and just general thought process on uh, product management. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Absolutely. Thank you very much. It was a real pleasure speaking with you. Thanks again to Kevin for that absolute wealth of resources that he shared with us to look into. I know I'm going to be looking into a number of them myself. If you enjoyed this conversation about product management and want to hear more, please subscribe uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you can rate us on Apple or any platform that has that ability, that really helps us with discoverability too. We'll be back with another interview again soon.